very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Growing Dentist. Today I'm very excited because I have Dr. John Palmer, someone I have known for more than five years and I respect a lot on the call today to talk to me about his journey with regards to growth. Hello, Dr. Palmer. Welcome, and Hello, thank you Maureen. for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Thank you, Doctor. Um, why don't we introduce you to our audience? I have known you for more than five years, uh, of course, uh, you know, as a client, and I've known you throughout the years because we both belong to an association called IAOMT, and we have met each other several times and have worked on several things together. So for those of uh, us who don't know you as much and your background, why don't you take a few minutes to you know, tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I, I started practicing dentistry in 1983. And uh, I, I practiced, like most dentists do, placing amalgam fillings, taking them out, doing routine restorative dentistry. But it only took me about seven years and I came down with mercury poisoning. Diagnosed by a medical doctor, I had a lot of the symptoms. And that kind of changed my scope of practice. I finally found the IAOMT, which taught me how to protect myself and a lot of things about mercury that we weren't taught in dental school. But in that time frame of about now 15 years, I'd been to the Las Vegas Institute. I'd, you know, increased my clinical skills. I had a large cosmetic practice at one time. And as I became more knowledgeable about mercury and put things in place to protect patients and myself, the demand came for those kind of services from patients. My practice shifted from a cosmetic-type practice to a holistic-type practice serving those kind of patients who were seeking extra precautions when we dealt with mercury. Throughout all those years, I had growth every year, except one year I was flat, just had almost the same exact numbers. And in the last 10 years, um, we've actually grown 116% over the last 10 years. That's exciting. I mean, You've been practicing for a long time, but you have grown in that entire time. Yes. Um, why don't you kind of take us back to your early days as a uh, you know dentist and uh, reflect yeah. on how you looked at the world, you know, with regards to time, money, relationships, and purpose. Like, how were you thinking when you just got out of school and you just started getting into dentistry? Well, I, I can tell you, I was very lucky because some people took very good care of me because I didn't have a clue about how to run a business. I actually graduated from dental school in three and a half years instead of four, so I was getting out and starting to practice in January. I had an old friend that was a banker, and he wanted me to come to the small rural town in South Carolina, and he basically financed me 100% and my father put a small CD at his bank as collateral. He found me a builder. Um, I built an office back in 83 in two rooms for $53,400, and it was completed before I even took my boards. It was just sitting there waiting on me. I was so naive, I had no clue that I might not pass the dental board the first time I took it. So that, that's how we got our start. I didn't have an interest payment for six months. My wife and I had $400 in the bank, and uh, I sold a little catamaran sailboat that we had down in Charleston while we were in school, and that was our rent money every month. I financed it to some guys I knew. And so the first year in practice, I think I made 20000 bucks. I netted $20,000. And we thought, in 83, we thought we were doing pretty good. And anyway, it continued to grow from there. You know, I added chairs and uh, added, got a hygienist and some more employees. And next year we we did better, and it just it just continued. Um, I stopped 
about three or fourth year, I did get some practice management help for some consulting companies, and I pretty much used some consultants periodically through the you know thirty plus years I've been practicing that have helped me grow the business, and you've helped me grow the business, and you know I I have just found over my career that I'm real good at doing dentistry, and I'm not real good at doing things I don't know anything about, so. When I learned, figured that out, I sought other people to help me do things I wasn't good at. Um, and that's really, I think, where my growth has come from. And you kind of start there, and then you start getting valued team members and getting them trained to take things off my plate so I can do the dentistry. And I think that's been one key to my growth over the years. Yeah, I want to pick up on a couple of points you made. It's uh, the first thing that out of your mouth was, I'm so lucky. You know, I've known you for more than five years, and every time I've met you and talked to you, uh, I, I get the sense that you are a very grateful human being. You always are so grateful. You're grateful for life. You're grateful for everybody around you. And uh, you make let them know that. And I think they appreciate that about you, and they work harder for you because you're that kind of a person. Is that sense of appreciating people and appreciating life, is that something you kind of learned along the way, or is that something, I don't know, maybe you learned from your parents? Like I'm just trying to figure out, because uh, at least in my case, I, I, I guess even now I have to work on it. You know, I sometimes forget of all the things that are going well for us and, you know, that I need to be appreciative of. But, I mean, you are somebody who exudes appreciation all the time. So, I don't know. Well, I would like to hear your thoughts on that. I'm a, I think I do have to work on that a little bit, um, especially with the people I work closely, closely with every day. Um, it's, you know, in the heat of the day and seeing patients, I may not always mention something that when I spot them doing something good. But, you know, we try to do it in morning huddles and morning meetings like we had a just a huge day yesterday, and I was just real complimentary of everybody this morning. But, uh, it's, I mean, you you always need to look, recognize the good things. You're, the people who work for you want to be recognized in more ways than just money. Um, they really would like to know that they're pleasing me as the boss. And I, I tend to forget that sometimes, I'll be honest, I do. Um and what I meant was when I was lucky, I mean, I don't really believe in luck that much, but the circumstances and people who I knew and guided me in my really earliest years for absolutely no payback at all, those people were very important in my life and uh, helped me succeed to where I am today. God, yeah, God partly maybe there. because, again, I'm speculating, partly maybe because they liked you, you know, like nobody likes no, um, somebody who's all about me, 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 right? Usually people like to help those who help others. So I bet well, I mean, and that's, even though you might... Go ahead. That That's a natural thing. I mean, the, the, a dental practice is really not about dentists at all. The dental practice is about the patients are in my practice. We call them guests. Uh, we don't even refer to them as patients. Um, and we treat them like guests that would be coming to my home for to be entertained or to be spend a night, whatever, just guest in my home. And I don't know if that's part of being Southern. I mean, Southern has hospitality. It comes naturally because I was raised that way. But that's the culture that I've tried to develop all, the whole years of my practice. Um, if we're... If what we're doing creates value for that patient and what we're charging, they're never going to complain about it. And creating value is making them the most important thing while they're here, not not us as me and my team. The only reason we're here is to take care of those guests. And the only reason we're going to succeed if we take care of it and create value for them. And they'll pay us and we'll have finances with financial gain. But you focus That's on the excellent. guest and don't focus on 
all those little things that can be going on around you, then you will you will have a successful dental practice. I really believe you will. Right. You know, that's an excellent viewpoint, right? So first, you look at them as guests, somebody who's here to be served. Second, you talk about creating value for them, you know. Um, I would love to hear more about uh, two things. One is how did you create that mindset? Yes, you have it, but how did you create that mindset or the culture in your team? And then how do you go about creating value for them? Like, And how do you help your team think about that? Well, we actually consciously do training with our team on those on those concepts and those the things we do to create that. Um, I mean, it's intentional. You know, it's just doesn't. We don't just hire somebody who has a pretty smile, who's nice. We actually do trainings all the time on how to take care of our guests better. Um, you know, my office is a little different than a lot of dental offices. When you walk in the front door, there is no glass window or no barrier between the guest and the person who's going to be receiving. It's just a nice office desk. And that person's trained to, if it's a new patient, to go ahead and call them by name, even if they're wrong. I mean, if we got one male new patient and one female new patient coming within pretty close time to each other, it's probably, and they don't know them when they walk in, it's probably that new patient. And even if they use, even if there's not that person, They'll just pause, guys, and go, I'm sorry, we were expecting so-and-so. What's your name? Because that's probably somebody they don't know either. The girls that I have doing that, they know our guest names. You know, they pretty much know all the current guests by name. They're great at remembering names. I'm actually horrible at remembering names. So they do that for me. Um, I think the other thing to remember is I mean, and that's just a small thing. It it just starts from there and keeps going. Uh, making sure they're comfortable in the in the chair. With uh, we provide music, we provide all natural sedation, we provide nitric oxide, whatever it takes to make it a pleasant dental experience in that chair where none of them want to be. Blankets, you know, whatever it is that they want and will need to get through that appointment. So it's the best dental experience they've ever had. Because you've got to remember, no, if, even if a patient says it doesn't bother me a bit, they're lying. It's no fun to be in a dental chair. So you got to create a comfortable experience for them. Um, another thing to remember is they didn't walk in your door because they did not want you to provide services for them. So generally when we have a new patient coming in for a consult, um, they we do a lot of listening to them as we're finding out what it is they would like us to provide. I let them do most of the talking, not me. And then I finally ask them, well, if it's okay with them, is it okay if I provide you with the best possible service I can, the best possible treatment? They always say yes. And so then I diagnose their treatment on what it would be if I were to put it in my mouth my wife's mouth or, or whatever, and I do just the best. I don't do the best and the second best, just the best. And if they can value that and afford that, that's what we do. And if they can't, then we may talk about the second best. And that's kind of the way we've been doing it for a long time. It sounds so simple, but um, I talk to a lot of dentists, and I don't think... They have these mindsets. I want to kind of pick up on a few words you used. You talked about training. You talked about intentionality, right? Everything is done with intention, with purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, You talked about listening to your patients. You know, you never tell them what they should have or they need. I mean, they walked in for a reason. So asking them what do they want, how can we be of service? You talked about, you know, um, once they tell you how you can be of service, asking their permission you know, can I give the best service I can? Can I take care of the best way I know how? And then not pushing them, but rather helping them, right? You know, it's exactly. the other guest, the other, the other person you are here to serve, your team is here to serve. 
and then how can we be of service with that mindset and then obviously they can't afford or you know make make your best solution work what's the next best solution i would love to kind of um kind of grab onto those words some of the words and some of those things you said uh, and kind of have hear your reflections on those like intentionality was that something you just learned uh, over time um you no, know i will I will tell you, I picked all this up from people who knew how to do it, and I learned from them. Whether it was paid consultants or some dental colleagues I've been close to over the years who who just that I met through Las Vegas Institute, or even some of them I was in school with, and we took a lot of courses together, practice management courses. We took a lot of Las Vegas Institute courses together, and I'm just being around people smarter than me. Is where it came from, but I've Bill Dixon was the first person that really stuck this into my brain. He 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 says all the time. He says you don't know what you don't know. And if I've seen young dentists, I've seen associates come through my office, and they like like they know everything in the world, and right. they would just sit back and realize that you don't know what you don't know but there are people out there who've done it before you and that you can learn from you should always be open to learning and I've always been I've always taken new courses even clinical courses or practice management courses I I never sit back or I'm reading a book I never sit back and think that I know it all Right, and every time, every time I think I know it all, I find out really quick I don't know it all. Right. So that's that's been real key to our growth. I mean, even now this year, we've added we're adding clinical things to the practice. I mean, we're looking at going into sleep dentistry, working on that. We've uh, got this early intervention orthodontic program called Healthy Start, which is just amazing. And uh, it's starting to add to the practice. So that was one of those things that I didn't have a lot of interest in was orthodontics until I saw this Healthy Start program and learned about it. And it, it looks like it's going to add a lot to the practice. So this idea of learning and continually learning, I mean, you might you, you, I mean, if is anybody who can say I know it all, you know, you should be one of them because you have been doing it for so long and you've built this amazing practice over a, you know, from '83, so over a 30-plus year period. Mm-hmm. But you feel that 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 mindset of you know, you know, knowing that you don't know it all allows you to notice the mistakes, notice areas to improve, and it is one of the reasons you have come so far. Yes. And yeah, another thing you said, Doctor, in your early remarks, you mentioned one of the things that allowed me to grow so much is I realized what I'm good at, and I realized what I'm not good at. And I have been able to find people to do the things that I'm not good at. Correct. I want to kind of go a bit deeper into this. Can Can you expand on this? Explain this to us more. You know, well, again, the... we're talking to. Go ahead. One of the simplest explanations of that would be take marketing. Um, you know, we I have no background in marketing at all. And when we first started to actually market our practice and advertise, whatever you want to call it, we made, spent money that didn't get much result at all. And then the Internet came along. And I know nothing about computers and the Internet. So one of the smartest things I did was hire you. I mean, you you made our new patients' numbers go up incredibly from the Internet, uh, from what it was doing. Uh, So, like, marketing's totally out of my realm. I I don't touch it at all in my practice. I have a gal that's my marketing director who works with you. She works with print and does other things. And I've gotten her some training from practice management people that have marketing training. And when a marketing person calls, I don't even 
talk to them. And I say, you're talking to the wrong person. Talk to talk to Celia. She does my marketing. And if she says she wants to do it, she gets to do it. She has a budget. She doesn't have to come to me to ask. As long as she stays with her budget, I don't I don't micromanage that. Um, when you first start out in dentistry, you're kind of in this time and effort economy where the dentist is the producer. You're the, you know, nobody else can help you produce. You don't even have good people yet, and you start putting a team together. But if you micromanage that team or don't train that team or don't let them reach their full potential, you'll stay in that time and effort economy. And basically means that you got to have your hands in everything. got to do the, every decision you got to have your hands in. You can convert that over time with training to a results economy where you come in and do what you want to do. I mean, for me, I like to be chair side. So I want to keep my hands on the clinical side. Uh, I can train. I can train my team to self-manage this practice. I have an associate now. I really don't have to be here, and they'll still have a decent day. And that's when it gets to that point, dentistry. Because you'll go into the time and effort economy, you'll get burned out. Dentistry may not be as fun. It may be disappointing to you as a career. But if you can flip it get into that results economy, you're doing it when you want to do it and you're doing the parts you like to do, the industry gets exciting again. You probably won't be thinking much about retiring again now. But that's, that takes time, that takes effort, that takes an intention to do it, and you probably can't do it by yourself. You need to find a good consultant who can help you get there. At least that, for me, that's what happened. Right. Every every time I've used a consultant, I've had a jump in my business. I've had a few bad ones that didn't last too long. That I separated real fast from, but that that hasn't been many. But almost all of them that I've kept long term. We've grown the business through taking their advice. Right. It's interesting. So most dentists learn a skill at school you know, how to do dentistry. They really don't know how to run a business. And I guess they start with the mindset of, I have to do it all, partly because of necessity, because they don't have the money to have a team and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then they get stuck in that mindset, and then they work harder and harder, hoping that one day it's going to get easier and easier, but it never does. And uh, they get caught up in this trap. And now you're saying you can break that trap and you can go from time and economy, to, you know, to where you sell time for money to... You are the owner. You are creating results, and people pay for results. So you don't have to do all the work. You can have other people be part of the solution. They can grow. You can grow. The practice can grow, and patients are happier because everybody who loves what they're doing is doing their piece. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. And now, um, you can max out how much you can grow. Uh, some of that depends on your space and equipment. I mean, you can do only do so much with if you, if your all your chairs are full all the time and you don't have anywhere to expand, then you're gonna you're gonna level off. So you might need a bigger practice, or if you plan on bringing an associate in and you don't have room for them, you know, you might not can reach that associate might not can reach their full potential. So you got time and space factors that can limit growth, but I think the other, the biggest thing to limit growth is just our not having a vision of growth, not having a plan or goal set, and not training your team members and bringing them into that vision and what they need to do to reach those goals that are set in that vision. And you got to set, you can set time periods. I mean, you don't need to set short time periods like next year is important, but you should be looking five and ten years out, especially when you're young. Right. And that's interesting. So why do you prefer to set long-term goals? Is it because this way it doesn't put a lot of pressure on somebody so they can really imagine and be creative? I'm just curious. Well, I think... uh, 
change takes time. You, you, know, you can't walk in and change everything overnight in your practice and expect people to be happy. But also some of the long-term goals to really say you want to grow to a $2 million practice. That might include having to change your location. And so you might have a 10-year goal. You might have to build a new building. You might have to save a little money before that. So there's all kind of factors that are involved in there. But you got to know where you want to go and kind of work backwards to get there. Right, so you, you have a visual, you visualize the future you want, and then you work backwards. Say, okay, right. this is where I want to be in five years. Right. And for me to get there, here is, you know, step one. Here is step two, and not just for you, but even for each of your people, they have to grow with it. That's right. We're doing uh, next Friday. We're having our, uh, we're having a strategic planning day that we're meeting, taking them to lunch, have some fun. But then I'm laying out. Basically, a plan for the next couple of years. My my time's getting shorter than because I'm 60, but so I don't have 20 year goals anymore for the practice. I doubt if I practice till I'm 80, but I might do a little bit till I'm 80. That doesn't mean I can't still be present in the practice and doing things I like to do. This may have more some other doctors working for me. Right. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, we have been talking. We have been talking about growing a practice, um, you know, from an economic sense, right? Now, I assume as you grow, your definition of success probably has changed. What I mean by that is, um, you know, at the end of the day, we all want happiness, right? That's what drives humans. So, what brings you happiness? I bet has changed. I mean, obviously, there's money, there is time. That is purpose, and that is relationships. Um, I would like to kind of weave in and understand how you're changing, evolved over time about those things, especially time, purpose, and relationships. We have talked a lot about revenues and growing your practice. And again, even within relationships, there's the patient relationships as well as your team relationships. How do you think about those things? Time, purpose, relationships, and how has it changed? Well, um, I mean, I'm a, my belief, I'm a Christian. So I, I try to keep that forefront. Um, as I've become financially successful, it's been a lot easier to focus on. I guess just well-being, having an impact on them so that they're healthier. Not looking, I don't have to look at them like they're, they can say yes or no and it really doesn't matter at this point in my life. My family, uh, luckily I've always had a great relationship with my wife. My children growing up, I would tell you I spent more time in that time and effort economy that I, that I wish I hadn't had to do back then. Um, luckily, they they still love their dad and the grandchildren. We all get together all the time. We've got a you know, great family. Um, but I would put... I would get out of that time and effort economy as quick as you can if you're a young person with kids. And I'll give you an example of what, what we did. And this was unfortunately after my kids were already in college. My team members came to me and they said, they called me Joe. They said, Joe, how about let's tr let's try something? I said, what's that? They said, let's uh, let's open at seven in the morning. Let's work till two. We'll skip lunch. That's about the same hours we've been working, and we can be home in time to pick our kids up or when they get home from school. I sat there just kind of dumbfounded, thinking how stupid I was. I looked at him and I said, that's the smartest thing I've ever heard y'all come up with. I said, but the only problem is, why didn't you tell me that when I had kids in school? And that's one regret that I wish I had done that when my kids were in school. Because we went 
to seven and two and became more productive. It doesn't make any sense. Our numbers went up. We started doing that and skipping lunch. So uh, we've done that for ten years now, maybe more than that. Thirteen years we've had we've had those hours, and they've still grown. Wow. So that that was an incredible insight that uh, they came up with, and so. But I really wish I had done that because then I've been in those, you know, baseball games that I wouldn't have missed, and those wrestling matches I might have got to the whole thing for. Those kind of little things would have been cooler. But I was still pretty much in that time and effort mindset back then. That's amazing. I, I bet this change you made probably changed the relationship your team has with you, right? Because, I mean, who doesn't like to have a job where they get to go home at 2.30 and spend the rest of the oh, yeah. evening with their kids? Oh, yeah, I've got people who have been... I've got people who've been with me, you know, close to 20 years, 10 years, and I've got people who've been with me four months. And they all, they all love those hours. I promise you they do. It's really good for them. Some of them don't have kids yet. Some of them are real young. So um, we've been pretty good maintaining long-term people. People have, you know, have worked Definitely, you know, a long time, very loyal, and then even the the newest members have. In fact, I probably think I got the best team I've ever had right now. There are no no people who are negative in this practice right now. It's just so great to come to work. Right. That's. That's that's very insightful, and you know, I, I have two young kids, and you're just giving me an idea. Like, you know, <laughs> I think stopping at two o'clock. I'm just wondering, you know, like I, I start early too. That might be um, the best tip I've given on the, all all day on this call. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? Because you're still doing the same hours. It's just that you're shifting yeah. it. Shifted a little bit. Right. 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 And you're right. I think. Even I, you know, I have a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old, and if there's one thing that I wish I had done differently was spend even more time than I have spent in the past, just because, you know, you cannot get those times back. And kids grow up, and a, you know, six-year-old is different from a 10-year-old, who's different from a 15-year-old. So, mm-hmm. if you miss that six-year-old, you miss that six-year-old. You know. And if you're uh, lucky like I was, my wife didn't have to work, so she was she was doing all the carpooling and driving those kids around and whatever, but she would have loved it if I could have helped out a little bit with that, a little bit more than I All did. Right. right. Oh, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, you give me some amazing ideas to this call. <laughs> In terms of... Um, you know, you kind of mentioned something else I want to pick up on. You, you said, you know, like sometimes when people say no doesn't matter anymore in the sense you're here to serve them you're giving doing your best work with your best people and you're enjoying every minute every day and the ups and downs of what happens in each situation doesn't affect you anymore it's almost like you know you have a purpose and you're fulfilling your purpose and you don't really care about the ups and downs of every word that comes out every situation is that something that you kind of matured into? Or how did you come to that realization? Because I, I bet it gives you a sense of calmness, sense of peace, sense of, uh, you know, um, you know, how do I put it? Um, you know, like a happy person to be around, you know, who's not well, agitated I'm, by all those. I, I don't tend to dwell on the negatives or... Um, you know, worry about the the problems too much. I mean, that I can't things that I can't control. I don't really let bug me. Um, but with as far as guests and you know, I'm talking about saying no to the treatment that you suggested. I just feel like if I've listened to them, spent some time with them, heard what they wanted, 
and gave them the best plan to get what they wanted, then the reason they're going to say no is they either don't trust me, which I hope that's not going to be the case after the time we spent with them, or two, it's going to be financially. And I, right. I can give, I can choose to give treatment free to some people, but I have to choose that. Um, I don't want them choosing that. You know, me do it and then they not pay me. That's not going to happen. So if I've done all that, then if they say no, then all I say is next. Who's the next right. person we get to talk to? I've done what I was supposed to do. And I've done that to the best of my ability, and that's what I can control. So right. I can't always control the response sitting across the desk from me or the, sitting in the chair. I can't control that. I can just try to be honest and provide the best. And if they want the best, they say yes. That's great for everybody. If they can't afford it, then that's okay too. Because I did my job the way I was supposed to do it. Right. You know, another point you mentioned, and I've seen this with um, some of my best clients, you know, they don't dwell on the negatives. They they try to look for the positives and they build on it. Mm-hmm. And um, and you mentioned, you know, what's the point of worrying about something you have no control over, right? I mean, if somebody has financial issues and, you know, how you don't have any control over it, you know. So what's the point even of worrying about it, right? Well, worrying never got it fixed. So, right. I mean, I'm not telling you I'm perfect and I don't worry about some things, you know. My, right. Somebody's having a health issue in my family. I'm not going to totally ignore that. But uh, right. I don't I don't dwell on the negative too often. Right. Right. So even if you do worry about it, you're worrying at it from point of view of what can I do to improve the situation, not from the point of, you know, it take, brings you down and you are an unhappy person to be around. Yes. So that's the fine line, right? How do you, you know, even 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 in a problem, you see a challenge and an opportunity, not the the negative side of it, you know, the emotional negative side of it. Correct. Let me talk about the relationship you have with your patients. Now, you have been doing this for a long time. How do they see you? And why do they see you the way they see you? Like, if I were to talk to somebody and you know about you, what do you think they will tell me? And and why did and how did you uh, how did that come about? Well, I don't I don't think it's totally me. I think it's the whole package. Um, from the physical looks of the office to the treatment they get from me and from my team. I mean, it's just, they spend the fewest time with me. I mean, I'm, seriously, I might be in, They by the time I am walk in the room, they may be watching a movie with headphones on or using Newcom and blindfolded. They could care less if it was me or an associate that sat down next to the chair and worked on. Um, I'd, I mean, I'm, I do think they think I'm an authority as far as the mercury issue and those kind of things. I mean, they've been on the Internet. And they've seen stuff. What they get from my website, it establishes you as an authority. That's what it's supposed to do for anybody's website. I mean, you're the right. dentist. You're supposed to know what's best for them. You're, that's why they came to you. And if they don't trust you, they'll go somewhere else. So there is definitely a trust developed, but I'm, it's just not because I'm this great-looking hunk of a guy or anything like that who walked into the room. It's because of the whole atmosphere in the office, the whole culture that's developed here. It develops that trust. I mean, some of them might not even recognize me walking down the street. They haven't seen me with normal clothes on and don't have loops hanging off my head and all that other stuff. All right. You're saying it's the entire experience that that yes. makes it special. It's where it's, it's like an orchestra. You you play your instrument, but there's a team, and everybody plays their piece. And and that environment where they are being served, they are the guests. 
everybody's there to serve the guest. Yes. Um, that's what they like. That's the experience that's they what, keep telling their friends about and coming that's back. That's what for. makes them write a review on online, and that's what makes them refer some of their friends or family to us. It's the whole package. Right. And every every performer is important. Mm-hmm. Right. I understand. I like the word. If they, the if they just flat love me in the back and I'm talking to them and I go out to Myers' front desk to check out and somebody's just a jerk to them, that would blow the whole thing. Or if there's confusion right. about what things cost because something wasn't gone over properly, that can blow the whole thing. Or if we go back and that day we do more treatment than they expected, without their permission, that would blow the whole thing. Every part of the puzzle is important to keeping those guests happy right. and referring. Right. It's kind of interesting. I, I I would like your comment on this, but um, over over the as a student of marketing, I've been thinking what marketing is and uh, what business is. And the more I thought about it, I came to the conclusion that marketing is about growing confidence. Um, you know, and there are lots of ways to grow confidence. Obviously, when you do things consistently, that grows confidence. Um, when people see you again and again on Google, that grows confidence because consistency, right? Trust transfers and grows confidence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody trusts you and, um, you know, let's say we post something on social media where they are holding a sign saying, my dentist rocks and, you know, all their friends see it. Now, all their friends have confidence in you because, you know, without even realizing it, there was a message that they're seeing where their friend trusts you. So, and I assume... You have the same mindset in the office, right? Every interaction, you're asking the question, you know, is what I'm doing, is what my team is doing, growing the confidence a person has having us in our team, in our practice. Because if, if it grows confidence, they're going to do things, you know, that's positive, right? They're going to accept treatment. They're going to tell their friend. They're going to write that review. But if it detracts, they're going to do just the opposite. They're going to leave. They're going to badmouth you. They're going to do, you know, things to hurt your practice. Correct. And there's a different way, I think, to communicate with different age populations. Um, Right. You know, patients who are my age, they might not be as likely to go on the line and write a review if we ask them to. To millennials and youngers, that's the way they communicate. And it's just, that's the right. first place they go to. I would like your take on millennials versus baby boomers, for example. Uh, you know, like, how do you see, uh, from as a dentist, you know, as a owner of a practice, how do you see kind of um, catering to them differently, you know, before they even get to know you, and then in the practice, like I would love your well, thoughts on it. Well, as um, as far as I make up my team, we kind of start young, and we have probably every generation in here, uh, pretty close. But so the youngest gals can communicate with the youngest patients. Pretty easy, but they also have different service desires. I mean, the millennials may have not have a mouthful of restorations that are going to wear out and about to be replaced. They may have more desires for cosmetics or clear braces, or they may have sleep issues that are going unrecognized. They may have some malfunctional type issues, tongue thrust and breathing problems that can be corrected with myofunctional therapist and a simple phrenectomy. So they still have they still have dental demands or services that are available to them if you recognize what they are. 
And that's one of the things that we've have trained over the years and have put into our practice. And I think that segment of the population, we see that those needs for them. Whereas, you know, the baby boomers, we all grew up with cavities and malums in our mouths and big restorations that need replacing them, and they're wearing out, so they have to be replaced. And those those patients are ones that seek more, you know, porcelain restorations, more of the high-end high dentistry on the restorative side. And then that's about probably all I know about these generations, because that's why I hire you. <laughs> as far as marketing and going toward, you know, what message do they hear, how they hear it, you're... We need to ask you that question, Noreen, not me. <laughs> no, absolutely, yes. Yeah, I mean, I find um, there's a generational difference. Like, um, you know, the baby boomers, they like that personal touch. I mean, for them, that handshake means a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, the younger millennials, you know, uh, I mean, there's a, I read some quotes somewhere, they trust strangers more than they trust even institutions. I mean, the trust that people have in the U.S. Congress is like 13% or like really low. Yeah. But on Airbnb, they go and sleep in somebody else's bedroom who they have never met, mm. right? So I think the young people, are because they were born up in a very different way with these devices and, you know, connected to the entire world in their fingertips all day long. So their view of the world is very different from, you know, the older generation, and and it translates into how they behave and how they do things. Now that you are 60 and, you know, you are at a phase in your life where you are prioritizing time more and uh, you are doing the things you enjoy doing and you're trying to build a team and, you know, uh, going from that time and economy world to results world, how do you see your future? Like, how do you see, how do you think about it? Do you feel confident? Um, Do you see changing in terms of, uh, the amount of work you're doing and the kind of work you're doing. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, I, I had an associate about three years ago, uh, straight out of school. And um, I kind of see probably maybe adding another associate and letting them do the procedures I really don't like doing, I don't have to do. You know, the... Right the composites or the class two composites that quadrant stuff and then I can uh, probably drop back to about three days a week here side maybe two some and I can still put in the porcelain implants or those kind of things do some sleep dentistry maybe some healthy start stuff you know it's real easy you know, you have to sit down chair side and do that kind of stuff. Um, and let them do more of the restorative work. And then I'll still be in place to lead the practice, do its vision, manage some. Create a team that can manage and then you got a practice that I don't have to be here all the time. And it will still Right. You know, I'd like to leave a legacy of this practice. I'd like to leave hopefully it'll will survive after I've retire from dentistry. Uh, either I'll own it and have people working or they'll eventually end up buying it from me. But one, of, one of the problems is with kids coming out in debt like they are from dental school, they really don't have the option of going into practice with themselves because it costs lots of money to open dental practice and they're already in debt. The banks don't want to loan them any more money, so they tend to have to go to work for somebody. Uh, it wouldn't. I would hope one day I'll have some associates that will say, "Okay, we're ready to take this over, and uh, we'll buy it from you." And that would be okay too. But I'm planning on working to them. Um, I had well, I haven't picked a quit date yet, no, I mean, I just know it will be someday. Somebody out there, I'll, I will quit. But I can't tell you what it's going to be yet. It's still fun. Right. 
Yeah, because you enjoy what you're doing, right? So why do you want to quit in the first place? I mean, people retire supposedly yeah. to enjoy life. If you're enjoying your yeah, life I mean, I'm in, right now. I'm in good shape. I'm working out three days a week with a trainer, so I don't have any health problems currently, thank, thank God. So as long as I'm healthy and I'm having fun, I'm not planning on just quitting. But right. I also have always had the, had the theory that the reason you work is so you can go enjoy life. You can go have fun. Right. I really enjoyed our conversation. I have too. Thank you very much, Doctor, for your time today and, um, you know, helping our audience and our listeners learn a lot of valuable insights. The things that stuck out in my mind, uh, you know, it starts with appreciation. Uh, It starts with, you know, teamwork where you appreciate people for their strengths and realize your, you know, strengths and then figure out how to empower them to do what they're good at while you do what you're good at. Um, You talked about um, learning and always learning, having that mindset that there's a lot that I don't know and always willing to, you know, work in that mindset. You talked about shifting from um, time and time and effort where you're trading time for dollars to results-based environment. Uh, You talked about um, the guest, your patients as guests. You serve them. You ask them what they want. You ask their permission on can I give you my best care and then let them pick and choose your best care or your second best care. You talked about they don't come for you. Uh, maybe when you were in the time and effort economy, yes, maybe they came for you, but now they come for your experience. They come for the overall experience where they're treated as guests and taken care of like guests, you know, like Southern hospitality you talked about. Um, you talked about, you know, you don't really get caught up in the ups and downs of the day-to-day, especially the negatives. You know, yes, we all feel bad sometimes, but you try to get out of it quickly and you try to you know, focus on the positives and you build on it. Um, so I learned a lot today, Doctor, and I think many of the listeners, especially people who haven't had the experience you have had, will get a lot of interesting insights if they listen carefully and pay attention to what you're saying. Um, um, so if anybody wants to learn more about Dr. John Palmer, just Google Dr. John Palmer South Carolina, and you'll find him, and there's tons of information. Um, Once again, thank you very much, Dr. Palmer. I really appreciate having you today and uh, for sharing all your wisdom with all of our listeners. Thank you, Noreen, for having me. It It was fun. I had a good time doing it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Once again, thank you for listening to another episode of Growing Dentist.